Yo, welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, episode number 35. I'm Tim Malcolm, the host of the podcast and the editorial director of philliesnation.com. This is the time to go. philliesnation.com is your place for Phillies news, rumors, information, and opinion, much more as well. Spring training is underway. We have our full slate of Clearwater travel guide fun for you this week, where and when to go to Clearwater this year whether you are spring breaking it with your friends or taking the whole family and maybe you want to go to Disney World, there is an opportunity to do that this year. We tell you about that at philliesnation.com. Also, we give you a sense of what it's like at Spectrum Field where the Phillies play their games, part of the Carpenter Complex where the Phillies practice uh, and all the minor leaguers, of course, practice as well. So you should check that out. We also tell you about Lenny's, our favorite breakfast joint, and yours, and all the other places where you should hang out to have a bite to eat or a drink in Clearwater. That's at philliesnation.com, along with the rundown of the Phillies spring training roster, all the hitters and pitchers, giving you a sense of who these people are, whether they are established veterans, guys on the come up, or players that you've never heard until just now. There are a couple of them in camp right now, so check it out, philliesnation.com. We give you the full rundown on their numbers and what you should expect from them in spring training. After, what, a two-week, almost two-week absence, and that's mostly because of a sick child, I apologize, but when you do have a sick 15-month-old, things just take an entirely different track in your life. But now that that's over, thankfully, we have better people in the house, and everybody's feeling good. We can continue with the podcast, and this week, we get into spring training and the early storylines. We do that with Matt Gelb of The Athletic formerly of Philly's, uh, philly.com and the Inquirer and Daily News. He's now at The Athletic, which is an amazing place where you can check out Philly's news and a lot of features and some just great reporting by Gelb and Megan Montemuro, formerly of the News Journal, and Ben Harris, who does a lot of great analytical work. The three of them are covering the Phillies like a swarm of bees, I guess if you want to put it that way. Also, some great MLB content. Our friend Jason Stark now works at The Athletic as one of the lead MLB writers. He's there with Ken Rosenthal and Jim Bowden. Eno Saris, one of my, uh, I've worked with him a lot, good friend. He's uh, doing a lot of analytic work, came over from Fangraphs. It's really immersive stuff they're doing at The Athletic. Check it out, theathletic.com. Gail will be on a little bit later to talk about spring training and all the fun stuff happening. And we're going to talk about the early storylines, our impressions of the Phillies so far. And yeah, we'll talk a little bit about Jake Arrieta. Why the hell not? Because it has to be talked about, I guess. Without further ado, let's start the podcast. Welcome to the Phillies Nation Podcast. I'm Tim Malcolm, your host. Let's get into it. Spring training is here. Hallelujah. Thank and praise the Lord. It Look, we only had like two weeks between the Eagles season ending and spring training. Isn't that awesome? How about the Eagles being Super Bowl champions? Come on. I, I like to remind, like, it's amazing. because I, I Like, we're at a point now where I don't think about it. And then out of nowhere, like I see something on Twitter or someone in my life just like mentions the Super Bowl to me. And it's like, oh my God, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. How awesome is that? It's really cool to get reminded of that now. But we are now fully in baseball mode. Spring training is here. I did forget to mention at the open, facebook.com slash Phillies Nation, Instagram at Phillies Nation underscore, Twitter at Phillies Nation, 
all of your Philly stuff there on social. philliesnation.com is your place for Philly's news, rumors, information, opinion, much more. So we got Matt Gelb on the show in a little bit. Uh, Matt is with The Athletic. Used to be with the Philadelphia Daily News Inquirer at philly.com. Now he's with The Athletic. They do great stuff there. He'll talk about spring training, early storylines, all the fun stuff. Yes, we will get into some uh, Jake Arrieta stuff, which we will get into as well before we get to Matt. But first, I want to talk about spring training and the beginning of everything and the storylines we've been hearing. And Matt and I will talk about some of this as well. But it sure feels like a different Phillies camp this year. And yeah, look, let's level it here a little bit. Spring training is a time where you hear about, A, guys who are in the best shape of their life. Because there's always a guy on every team who's in the best shape of his life. And B, guys who are tinkering with their swings or their pitches or they've they found a new pitch and they're working on it and they are improving and you hear these stories second week of spring training and then by the second week of the season you're wondering where the hell that swing is and where the hell that new pitch is and nothing is working the guy is as bad as he was before there's a lot of noise in spring training is what i'm saying and we have to hear everything and like okay like this is fine one of the examples is Michael Franco came into spring training swinging a bat and the Phillies, I think even like did a slow motion of his swing in the batting cages. And it looked like this awesome swing. It looked like he's stepping out way in front of the ball, which is a way that you can get early uh, launch angle attack on the ball and you can start to lift it better. It's also a swing that's very level with a little bit of a launch, which is much different than the uppercut launch that he had previously. And you watch that and you're like, oh my God, Michael Franco might be ready to go. Like we might see the guy that came into the league in 2014 or 15 and hit the snot out of the ball and made everybody stand up in attention and go, holy crap, we have a star in our hands. Maybe we have to see what happens. Like spring training is going to happen. We're going to see how he swings during the course of the next couple weeks how the adjustments take hold, if they do. And then we have to see him in game action. And not just in the first series of the year against the Braves, but in the first month, two months, two and a half months, three months of the year. We've been saying going into the season that Mike Kell's probably in his last year of really showing the Phillies if he can do it on an everyday level. And, you know, they might let him go all season. If he's struggling by July, they might not. I don't know. We're going to see. But Michael is probably in this crossroads. And yeah, he's got to do something. But we're going to see all these things about his swing. And he's been talking a lot with Carlos Santana. And if that's going to help his plate discipline, then that's great. But we have to see it happen in game mode. And if it does, and it's a two to three month consistent trend where he's much better and the numbers bear it out and the scouting bears it out. Okay. Totally new narrative on Michael Franco. But the narrative still is, this is a guy that we have to look and see with. And and we're not quite... We don't have all the answers yet with him. And right now, his stock is low. But maybe it can improve. So you're going to hear all this stuff. And you're going to see all this stuff early. The goal is not to get over your head with it. And not to also be really pessimistic about it. You know, we've already heard some fans like... 
we're going to get into Gabe Kapler here. And Kapler has been bringing this entirely new optimistic approach to camp. As we've seen already with him, he is an energetic guy who is enthusiastic about what he's doing. He brings an entirely new slate of disciplines and philosophies to camp. Everything from starting training sessions late in the morning instead of early on. He said, if guys want to get to camp early and get their workouts in there, yeah, go right ahead, do what you got to do. But we're not starting officially until like 11 a.m. because it's better for everybody's body clock on a whole. And guys don't play baseball typically till 7 o'clock at night. Jobs don't begin till 4 or 5 in the afternoon when they report to the park. Why would we start working out in spring at 8 a.m.? when their job actually begins like six hours later. So the idea is let's get these guys eight hours later. Let's get these guys into a mode where their body is more responsive and more comfortable. So we're not changing things wildly at the beginning of the year. That sounds great, right? You also have Gabe texting with Vince Velasquez. There's a great great quote in, uh, in fact, this is a Matt Gell piece from The Athletic a couple of days ago where we heard about Vince Velasquez and, and Gabe Kapler exchanging texts throughout the offseason. And the quote from Vince Velasquez is really eye-opening. He says, quote, It's amazing how one person or just one human being can change your ways by creating a different vibe. It's amazing how much he brings to the clubhouse and just how live it is right now. This is the first day and we're already bumping music. Now look, you're going to hear that stuff and you're going to hear it from anybody who comes into spring training with a new coach in any discipline, right? It doesn't matter if it's Gabe Kapler or someone else. You're going to find a, you're going to be able to write a story about how some player likes some manager's new approach. This sounds great. Especially because Vince Velasquez is a guy who, as we heard last year, he talks a lot, especially when he's not doing well. And he questions himself a lot. And he beats himself up a lot. And he could be as tough as critic. But to hear him in the beginning of spring training talk about how Gabe Kapler is like nothing he's ever seen before. And he loves it. And it's the guy that he's been waiting for in his life. I mean, it sounds like Vince Velasquez has like found his buddy, his mentor, who's going to take him to that next level. Look. If this is what makes him the guy who can go seven innings and strike out seven, eight, nine a night and be lights out and be as reliable or almost as reliable as Aaron Nola on a regular basis, dude, I'll take it. Gabe Kapler was great for that reason alone, but it's going to take time to see it actually bear out. And we're not going to know how it really works until we see Vince Velasquez on the mound for a eight, 10, 12 start sample. This all sounds great. Spring is different. The vibe is different. Matt Gelb talks to me about that later on. The vibe is different. But we have to see it happen. At the same time, I've heard people, and this is the negativity I was going to get to, people are comparing Gabe Kapler to Chip Kelly, which makes sense because these guys are into sports science and fitness and changing the whole regimen and changing the entire clubhouse mentality. But there are differences. And Gelb, we talked about this Kelly took away a lot of players early on and said, like, LaShawn McCoy, you're out. Deshaun Jackson, you're out. Now, that happened after his first year. So we'll see if Gabe Kapler, like, has the same sort of mindset later on. We'll see how it bears out, right? But another thing that's really important to know, Chip Kelly never played football at that high level. He never played professional football. Gabe Kapler has been in the major leagues, has been in clubhouses, 
was a player for a long time and had played different clubhouses and different situations. So I, for one, look at that aspect of it and think, okay, that gives me a little bit of hope that this guy can talk to these guys on that player level. And he understands the struggles and the trials that these players go through all the time, whether it's traveling from place to place or having self-doubt about yourself or trying to change your approach every other week because you've just slumped for nine plate appearances and you're like, damn, I have to change my swing again or I'm going to do a different superstition or whatever it is. Gabe understands that, I think, on some level because he's been there. Chip didn't understand that on that level. We'll see, again, if it changes. But I don't think it's fair to to naturally just lump the two together. Take each guy on face level. Take each guy for who they have been so far, and we'll see how it bears out. But there's been negativity about, oh, Kapler looks like he's just a wonk. He's too much of a nerd. He's putting all this stuff on these guys too quickly. Whatever. Don't get so negative about it. You don't have to be, like, super positive about it. You don't have to, like, be the biggest Gabe Kapler wonk. You don't have to be, like, Gabe is the man. He's going to, like, take this team. to. You don't have to be either. Just try not to be extreme on either end. Try to take the information, say, okay, that's what we know, and then apply it with your opinion of, look, this team is rebuilding. I mean, they're, they're at the end of the rebuild, but they were a 66-win team last year. We hope they can be a 500 team next year, which or this year, which it would be a huge improvement. But if they win 74, 75 games, I don't think that's like terrible. It depends on how they get there and what happens as they get there. Does Michael Franco improve and become that everyday player that we all think he can be? Does one or two of the starting pitchers become a reliable number three front line kind of starter, whether it's Pavetta or Velasquez or Eikhoff, do we see this team's approach improve in such a way that with better players, and that will happen next year, the year after, you see everything kind of showing itself and, oh, we have a playoff team now. Those are the big questions that you have to kind of answer this year. How do these guys improve within their own games and how does this team improve within the margins leading me to the Gabe Kapler thing where he's introduced this uh, concept of value at the margins they're wearing these be bold shirts which you know it's a little bit forced the majestic team store is already going to be selling these the logos on the shirt so this was already like thought of before it was introduced in spring training it's a little forced right They also have the sleeves that say VAM, meaning value at the margins. And look, it's launched a funny VAM hashtag or VAM talk or whatever you want to call it. It's it's a little bit too much, right? You look at it from afar and you're like, okay, Gabe, calm down, dude. We get it. You're really into it. Don't force it too much. But they're thinking about it. And I'll talk to Matt Gelb about pitch framing, which is a deal that, you know, we, we just we're seeing things that we've never seen at spring training before with how they're trying to work with the catchers using data and using technology to be better at framing pitches, which is something that the Phillies were terrible at in the last couple of years. They're changing their approach to outfield shifting. Every team does it, but the Phillies, as Matt Gelb wrote about, is they're doing it at such a level that 
it's almost ridiculous. But maybe it helps them just a little bit. And 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 look, if you become the best outfield shifting team in baseball, if you become the best pitch framing team in baseball, that might be an additional three wins in your overall record. Suddenly a team that went 66 and 96 and is projected to win maybe 74 games is suddenly a 77 win team. So all these little changes they make could actually mean real benefit at the end of the year. But again, have to see it happen in real time. Great to hear about it in spring training. Great to see the stories, but have to hear about or have to see it happen in real time. And look, if the, if it have, if it all works and this team is a 500 team in a way because of some of the things they've done and the approaches that they've changed, you got to be really happy about the future. Again, had to see it happen in real time. So let's get into the Jake Arietta talk. Arietta still a free agent as of right now. He and agent Scott Boris waiting for the deal that gets them reporting to a team this spring. For everything that we've heard, this is what we know most recently. John Heyman reported at FanRag Sports a couple of days ago that the Phillies and Arietta are having discussions, right? Whatever that means, that could be like a couple text messages, that could mean contact called Boris, that could mean they've been talking every day, it could mean they had one or two quick discussions and that was, we don't know. The idea though is they've had discussions. From what we've gathered from Todd Zolecki at MLB.com, what we've gathered from Matt Gelba the Athletic, what we've gathered from Heyman is that Arietta seems to want five years, six years a long-term deal, something that is not three or four years, maybe four, but definitely not three. The Phillies seem to want a three-year deal. That is the threshold for them with Jake Arrieta or probably any pitcher in the free agent market at the most, right? I mean, I don't know if Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb is a three-year guy, but at the very least, Jake Arrieta is a three-year guy to them. The two sides don't seem to want to come together on that, right? That's what sounds like is happening. Should the Phillies go after Arietta and maybe give him five years? Should they try to do four? Should they do four and an option or three and two options? Should they do three and an opt-out? And to, A lot of deals have opt-outs now where you you know, say, we're going to do guaranteed three years, an opt-out, and then you can decide whether you want to come back for two more years that are potentially a little bit less than you made in the first three guaranteed uh, because you believe in this team, whatever. I think the Phillies are doing the right thing. Right now, this team is projected to win somewhere around 74, 75 games in 2018. They make a couple improvements at the margins. Some of the players that are projected to do okay, maybe do better, or some of the players that are projected to do poorly do okay or better. This team might win 81 games, which is great. How much does Jake Arrieta improve that team from that point? Do they go from 81 to 88? No, there's no way they go from 80. I mean, unless Arietta has that season that he had back in 2015, where he put up a 177 ERA for the Cubs and a 235 whip with 236 strikeouts, that's not happening for Arietta. Very likely, you're not getting that season again. You could get a season where he's closer to that. He puts up an ERA in like 2.5, 2.6, 2.7. That still seems unlikely. What seems most likely, the trend is 
ERA around the 3-3-3-4 area, maybe even more than that. He's going to probably have around 160, 170 strikeouts next year, something like that. If he can give you 180 innings, that'd be great. He put up 30 starts last year, 8.7 strikeout per nine, 2.9 walk per nine. Look, if he can get around eight and a half strikeouts per nine and three walks per nine, that's right there, right around Aaron Nola, a little bit less than Nola actually in what he's projected. But that's number two for sure, good starter. He does not give you seven more wins in the season. He might give you a three, maybe four, but then what? Like, does that is that enough? Wild card teams generally find themselves around the 87, 88, 89 win mark. The Phillies would have to be that kind of team to contend for a wild card. Jake Arrieta would not boost them to that level. But then you're saying, well, what about Jake Arrieta 2019, 20? Like, the Phillies are going to get Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, maybe a couple other guys make improvements, whatever. Maybe they are projected to win 85 games in 2019. Well, what about Arietta at that point? Like, then he would like be the four-win pitcher or whatever that can get them into the playoff race. Well, here's the thing. At a certain point, and I know the Phillies have pockets, but they're going to have to start paying guys. Aaron Nola, if he has a good season this year, undoubtedly will be a candidate for an extension. He could have been one this year. If Michael Franco turns it around, suddenly he's a candidate because he's in his last year of arbitration. And then you got young guys like J.P. Crawford. Uh, you got, you know, maybe Nick Williams. Aaron Altair, potentially. Who knows? Reese Hoskins, they could lock up one of these young guys to a big deal early on in the way that the Rays did with Longoria and so many other teams have done since. But you got to start using that money that you've been pocketing away. And then you start thinking about, well, did our addition of Arietta back in 2018 make it harder for us to get maybe that one pitcher that we really do need in 2020 when we find ourselves slightly below the teams like the Dodgers and the Astros for a world championship. The Astros didn't make that big move until they really knew, okay, this is our moment where we are a World Series contender. Now let's go get Justin Verlander. Now let's put the icing on the cake. Now let's put the cherry on top of the sundae and win us a World Series. That's what happened. But they waited until that last minute to get that big-time pitcher. The Phillies are different. They have a little bit more of a payroll. You know, uh, uh, They have more payroll than the Astros do. So they could potentially make that move earlier. But you are risking things, too. So let's say they get Arietta. Sounds great, right? What if Franco never does adjust? What if J.B. Crawford doesn't really materialize this year? What if Hoskins has a big slump this year? What if suddenly the questions about this team are even more so than they were at the beginning of the year and we find ourselves back with a 70-win team or something like that after this year and an addition of a Bryce Harper or a Manny Machado gets this team to 80 wins, you know, with a couple other things, but then Jake Arrieta would then put them at 83. I mean, it's not worth it. So that's why getting a big time free agent pitcher like Arietta or even a Lynn or a Cobb works more for a team like the Cubs or the Nationals or the Dodgers or the Astros or the Indians or the Yankees or the Red Sox, teams that are in it right now and can contend and just need that one or two more pieces to get to that big world championship contention level. The Phillies are not there yet. 
they're not even at the level of the Brewers or the Cardinals or the Giants, teams that are slightly below those teams and can contend for a wild card today, but with one more good pitching addition can really make that run. And you will see those teams probably in that trade deadline scenario looking for that one big piece. Now, the Phillies could be in that scenario too. If they have a great start to the year and guys are just hitting the cover off the ball and Nola's doing his thing and Velasquez is great and Pavetta's great and this team's better than we all thought they would be and they're like in and around first place most of the year. Yeah, July, you're going to see this team talk about being a buyer and you're going to see Chris Archer, you're going to see Marcus Stroman, you're going to see guys like that be part of the Phillies' plans potentially. But it's not going to happen here. I don't think Arietta's going to happen here. If he does accept three years, and that's a different story, and maybe they will take that risk, which is a smaller risk. But five years of Arietta, which would cut into a lot of pay that they would have to give young players later on, which could, I mean, look, do you know what Jake Arietta's going to give you in year four, year five? Can he give you enough in years one and two and even three to like pay the value for all the five years? I'm not sure. The trend for Arietta is going down slightly. He's getting older. He's still a good pitcher, but he's not the sure thing that he used to be. So you're taking a lot of risk. And for a team that is still not quite at that moment where they can take that risk, it is too much to ask for. So why do Arietta on five years? If he will give you three and you're paying him $20 million or $22 million a year for that deal, okay, different story. But it sounds as if that's not going to happen. So don't, don't get excited about Jake Arietta. Unless, like, you get a tweet that says, Arietta opened a three-year deal. Then we can get excited and be like, okay, what does this team look like with Arietta? How does this team, like, make that move at the deadline to be a wildcard contender? Don't get your hopes up yet. I would just stifle a little bit, and I would be more interested in seeing how this team plays to start the year. I think Arietta probably holds out for part of the season, waits to see if a contender or two contenders lose a pitcher, which usually happens, and then Boris and Arietta would be like, hey, let's go. Who wants me for four, five, six years? Because you know I'm a sure thing. You know I can get it done. That's what they're going to say. Nationals, they might be interested. But I would not necessarily think that the Phillies are favorites. I would just hold on that and... If you never know, you never know. But as far as everything we've heard so far, don't get so high about Arietta because it seems more likely that he does go to a true contender within the next month or two, or even halfway through the year. Um, as far as the Phillies, let's see what happens. Again, we got to see what happens on the field. I know it's like the worst sort of, you know, we don't want to necessarily be more patient, more patient, more patient. But I think we're at a point now where we have to get through three more months of this. And I think at that point, we could start to see real change happening that gets us extremely excited for 19, 20, 21, and beyond. Now I have with me Matt Gelb, who is not with Philly.com, the Inquirer Daily News, this year or anymore. He is now part of The Athletic, which is this great website that covers sports across the country. They have many local sites, including theathletic.com Philly, um, but he is the main baseball writer for uh, theathletic.com Philadelphia, covering the Phillies with Megan Montemaro and Ben Harris, coming over from philly.com, and he joins us now on the Phillies Nation podcast. How you doing, Matt? I'm great. It's good to be talking to you, and uh, it's been a pretty good weather, spring, and clear water. It's been about 80 every day, and... uh 
it's great that baseball is uh, is finally back. It didn't feel like you know it wasn't a lot of time between football and baseball this year, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's weird because once the Eagles ended, it, you know, usually it's like the Eagles end. You're like, oh my god, I have like two months to go still, and it was two weeks this year, and just it was wonderful. So, um, and I'm glad that you're having sunny days in Clearwater, making us jealous here. But um, let me start with this because it's been a very slow off season in baseball. But I feel like in baseball journalism, it's been wild. Uh, we've seen a lot of writers moving around and doing different things. And obviously, the place you're with, The Athletic, has done so much bringing in a lot of writers. There's a new Major League Baseball, or I say baseball coverage, uh, headed by, uh, uh, what the, I forget his name, Rosenthal. Um, and Jason Stark is there now. And, uh, you know, Saris is, is there now. Um, really immersive stuff. You guys are doing amazing stuff. And the Philly site has launched, uh, launched a little bit, uh, last year. And now the baseball site is here with you, Megan Montemarro and Ben Harris. Um, why did you go over the athletic? Like what, what drew you over to them? And, uh, what about the athletic do you think is going to like change how we look at baseball in the Phillies? Well, I would say this. I mean, I was not looking for a reason to leave the Philadelphia Inquirer was, my dream job. I grew up reading the paper. I grew up in the in the burbs reading Jason Stark and Jim Salisbury, uh, writing about the Phillies and writing about baseball and working there was a dream. Uh, I mean, I loved it, but uh, the athletic came and had recruited me. And uh, for for quite a few weeks, I had sort of debated it. And, and really, you know, the reason why I left is because I really believe in their mission. I mean, I think uh, they've offered their their writers total creative freedom and uh, a blank slate, which uh, I've told people is both uh, exhilarating and terrifying. Uh, <laughs> it's really cool to be starting something from scratch. And, and really, the uh, the biggest upshot is being able to deviate from the formula. Right, the formula of a of a newspaper beat writer is you know you file a pregame story, you know notes. It's kind of the news of the day or maybe something featurey. You write a story. Uh, as soon as the game ends, you have to send them the story. You rewrite that story about the game uh, maybe about 45 minutes later. And then uh, you try to pick up the pieces from there. And typically, uh, because of the newspaper deadlines, I left the ballpark many nights feeling like I had uh, given my best work. And it wasn't because I didn't try. It wasn't because I didn't have a good idea. It's just because of the time constraints. And now a lot of that is taken away. Uh, this is a chance to do something different. Uh, I, I view it as a place for you know, really diehard fans, I think. Uh, there's a chance to uh, provide different coverage uh, that, that deviates from the day-to-day stuff, and that's not to say we won't be covering the day-to-day stuff, but we'll just be trying to do it in a different way and uh, maybe a little more creative way. Uh, and really, when you see the kind of talent they have invested in uh, across the country, Ken Rosenthal and Jason Stark speak for themselves, but Really, what I'm impressed with is the writers they've hired in the cities uh, to cover baseball. They're some of the best baseball writers in the country. They have great ideas, and then they hired me, and I was very humbled by that. And I don't know if I belong in that group, but uh, I'm I'm really excited about the chance uh, to do something. I know we're asking people to pay for it, uh, but but I really see it as an incredible deal. And I'm not just saying it because I work there. I think if I didn't, I subscribed before I went there, and really. When you're talking about Ken Rosenthal and Jason Stark, I would almost pay uh, pretty much anything to read them every month, and, and yeah. that's how indispensable I see it. Uh, and we'll see. You know, I don't think they have all the answers, but it's a weird business right now. 
Uh, yeah. And, and I, I view it as a chance to, to try something uh, new and, and to really maybe be on the ground floor of something uh, that could be really, really, really cool. Well, A, I, I can't believe I blanked on Ken Rosenthal's name, but Ken Rosenthal, he's telling the coverage. Uh, B, um, it is amazing. Like, I, I just it's it's a scary leap because, I mean, I've been in print journalism and digital journalism for a decade now, and I was at a long-time, you know, business where I was at a newsroom and making salary and very comfortable in that newspaper. And then I left because I wanted to do freelance. And it's been scary because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to – keep going month to month sometimes and I'm sure for you it's it's slightly different because this is a business model and, and it's an organization that you're a part of. It's not just your own, you know, self employed work. But it's scary because they're new and there's a lot of things that they haven't been through yet. And so there is that I think element for you, but it's really great to see you guys taking that leap and saying we believe in this kind of journalism, which if you if you don't know about the athletic theathletic.com. In fact, if you go to theathletic.com slash MLB free trial, you can get 30% off for the first year. And that's an amazing deal because it's like $3.70 a month or something. And you'll get Gelb, Megan, Ben, and then all of the MLB coverage with Ken Rosenthal and Jason Stark and everybody else. And you'll get other sports. You'll get the whole package. And it's really amazing stuff. The, the stories are great. And I wanted to ask you about sort of how the approach changes because you mentioned that a little bit. It's not just the regular game stories. But how is spring different? Because you've been with the Phillies spring training. You've been doing Phillies spring training since 2010, and you've been through a lot of different iterations. But this is obviously a different place you're at now. So do you go into each day? You talk to Megan and Ben and say, like, here's what we're doing. You know, here's what I want to do. Here's what I'm talking to. And you're kind of, like, just sifting through and trying to find stories. Like, how does it work for you guys now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've done, we do, you know, we do long-range planning and short-range planning. I mean, we, we, all three of us had some ideas before spring training starts, the stories that we wanted to do and pursue. And spring training is a great time to pursue bigger ideas. Uh, it's a great time to uh, find some quirky, fun features, too. You know, there's there's a good mix, I think, to be added. So, you know, we, we typically try to plan a few days ahead. We have some ideas that we want to do. Each of us, I think, has a different style. You know, which which I think makes uh, for for a really good mix. And you know, my approach has been to find stories that I think are worth telling, stories that I think uh, diehard and, and interested and smart fans want to read about, stories that you know, frankly, I think maybe are undercovered. Uh, and you know, there's there's a lot of avenues for that here this spring uh, to try to break free from the you know typical hey, this guy started, uh, you know, let's write about him and you know, uh, it's just a little more freedom. And I think, uh, you know, we're taking some risks, too. I mean, we're going to try some things that are going to work. We're going to try some things that don't work. And I think the beauty of it is that, you know, there's some good feedback uh, from people who are reading. Uh, and, you know, I, I think creating something from scratch uh, can be can be really fun. And that's what I've enjoyed so far about the spring is because I think it's a great time, especially covering the Phillies, uh, to be trying something different because there are so many changes here, and I've tried to sort of convey that through a lot of my writing. It is a very different place right now. Yeah, and 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 that was I was just going into that now. We can get into it with spring training. Um, before we get into your pieces, because you've written about a lot of changes that have happened, sort of in the strategic and and game philosophical and training philosophical sort of ways. 
But just the, the mood of everything in Clearwater, because right in the beginning, we got all these Gabe Kapler pieces about how he's texting Vince Velasquez throughout the offseason. And, you know, he's just exuberantly positive the entire time. How different is that from spring trainings that you've covered in the past with the Phillies? Is is the mood, like, really as optimistic as you guys are painting it to be? I think it is. And, and look, generally this is a very optimistic time of year for just about every organization in baseball. And it's not right. to say the Phillies haven't been optimistic in years past at this time. It's just a different vibe, I think. And, and I know the inclination from a lot of Philly fans is to, is to equate Gabe Kapler to Chip Kelly. And I totally understand that. I, I see why. I mean, he's coming in with different ideas. He's asking his players to change the way they think about the game, the way they prepare. Uh, I see some differences, though, and this is coming from someone who didn't have intimate uh, exposure or knowledge of the Chip Kelly era. I, I only know from what I read and heard, but, uh, you know, I think Gabe Kapler has put a priority on establishing relationships with his players, and to me, that is where the Chip Kelly regime seemed to fall short, that he had alienated a lot of players that sort of just made it his way or you're gone, and that's not to say that that won't happen here, but so far, I think Gabe Kapler has put a priority sort of on the human relationships, and it may seem a little forced at times, I think. Uh, they, they definitely are trying different things, but uh, there is certainly a different vibe, and they hired an entirely new coaching staff that is a younger coaching staff, and for a young roster, uh, they're trying to appeal to some of these guys, and, you know, maybe that means a little more coddling, as I've written. I mean, the, you know, there's a lot of positivity going around right now. It's, it's very different than what you would uh, – picture from a traditional baseball coaching staff, and uh, that is one way they think they can connect and uh, improve these players. You just had a piece uh, at The Athletic on Friday, coming off of Friday's game against the Blue Jays, about outfield shifts. And this is one of those changes that I think seems very just amazing and how quickly it's kind of happened. And you wrote about how there are two guys who are really sort of taking the mantle here. Uh, Chris Young, who's the assistant pitching coach, and Sam, uh, Sam Fold, who's new to the team, uh, retired and then came to the Phillies, and he's going to be working sort of with the front office but also with the players on a, on a sort of communicative level. Um, how, how is it – what do you see? So, so you're, in, you're watching the game, and, and, and I'm sure you've already, like, had the information sort of you're gathering that before the game. But in the game scenario, you're seeing Chris Young with, you know, the sheets of paper coming out of the dugout and doing this whole, like, move this guy, this guy over here. Like – just take me through like what you're seeing in that in that moment and why this is so different than what we've seen from the Phillies in the past. Yeah, and I think as I wrote, I mean, this is not not to say this is revolutionary because it's not. We've seen, you know, teams have been moving their outfielders forever. You know, I mean, with yeah. a guy tends to have pull uh, tendencies or tends to go the other way, be lefty right. He does move, but what, what I saw, and, and they didn't do this in the game against the University of Tampa, I'm guessing because they didn't have, you know, the uh, the spray charts for the uh, Tampa Spartans. <laughs> that that, that would be amazing if they did. That. But uh, <laughs> they should have, you know, they did it for the first race of the game against Toronto, and it just struck me immediately. Like, I'm seeing the assistant pitching coach before every at-bat, and we're talking about, you know, Blue Jays plays the major leaguers and the minor leaguers, but they have data on every guy, and he's, every at-bat, he's positioning uh, the outfielders, and it wasn't just like a little bit of a move. It was some, in some cases, a pretty extreme move. And he's holding these charts in his hand. I'm like, okay, this is this is different. And that's not to say they didn't do it before. Juan Samuel, third base coach in previous years, was in charge of the outfielders. He was a hell of an outfielder when he played. 
he would, before every game, review, um, you know, some tendencies with break charts with some of his outfielders, and they would move guys during games. But there wasn't certainly as much as was happening on Friday. Uh, the Phillies are taking it to an extreme. You know, I think uh, they've looked for different ways uh, to apply the data on the field. And this was not like this was an overnight awakening in the front office. You know, the front office for the last years has, has you know, really subscribed to some of these ideas. They just had bigger problems to deal with, and they didn't think that implementing some of these things, like the outfield shifts and some of the stuff they're doing with the catchers, uh, was proper because they had a roster that was in such shambles and, you know, really was in transition uh, to the point where they, they weren't stressing the small things yet in 2016, 2017. And here they are now. Uh, they're certainly – I don't think they're going to be contenders. Maybe they will be. I don't think they will be. But they have at least begun to uh, stress smaller things and begun to think about where can we find an advantage, where can we make our players better. Uh, they feel like they have players place some spots to start thinking about those things. And I saw Chris Young doing it. First of all, I was like, wait a minute, that's the assistant pitching coach. Why is he positioning the outfielder? So that was where sort of the story began in my head. And then talking to guys as they came out of the game, actually, because spring training is great for that. I can go talk to players during the game. And they're saying, yeah, you know, they told us we're going to be doing this a lot and be ready for it. You know, I think in the end, really, they're just sort of holding their players' hands a little more. They're just taking one thing uh, from their mind and, and it's, one last thing you have to think about. I talked to Andrew Pohn about it actually this morning. It's awesome. Like, I don't have to remember in my head, you know, where I'm supposed to be for this guy, where I'm supposed to be for that guy. I can think about other things. Uh, they're always going to be positioning them. Uh, hmm. And who knows? Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but they're they're going to try it. They're going to try it a lot. And I think when you start to see the games on TV, you're going to notice. That That's an interesting element to it that I didn't think of, is that you're taking away something that they would have to think about normally, which is actually good for the ball player because they probably don't want them to think too much uh, except for, you know, hit the bat, hit the ball, you know, and, and, and make the play. So that's an interesting part of it. Um, you also wrote about pitch raving and how that's a big deal as well. Um, and, and we obviously heard uh, uh, Andy McPhail talk about that in the offseason, that that was a big bugaboo for the Phillies in the past, and they're going to change that. And other teams have started to do, you know, better pitch framing uh, implementation in training and using the data to their advantage. The Phillies are doing that now. Dusty Watson is really heading that. You wrote with Torrey Alfaro and all the catch and all the catchers. Um, getting beyond sort of the, 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 the little parts of that, are you kind of surprised? That this has happened so quickly. I mean, I mean, you know, we're talking about outfield shifting in a game in the first Grapefruit League game. We're talking about this pitch training that's happening right away. All the other little things that are already happening in training camp. Um, and it's only been what you know, two and a half months, three months into the Gabe Kapler era. Are you surprised with the speed in which these coaches, this co- these coaches, have sort of come up with all these ideas and implemented them and, and have the players on board and working with them and excited about it? In one respect, I am, but in another respect, I'm not. You know, spring training is the perfect time to do this stuff. And I think their 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 idea behind doing it all right away and all very rapidly is that you want to get guys used to it now. You want to kind of iron out the issues now so that, you know, come March 29th, I think is opening day. I don't know what the day is. But come yeah. the end of March, um, they're ready and they know what the expectations are. Uh and then on the other hand, yeah, I mean, they're throwing a lot of these guys right now. And, and, and the feedback that I've gotten from the Colossus that is, is been, 
generally welcomed, generally understanded. Uh, you know, they've hired some people to try to uh, translate the data uh, to a dugout level, to a clubhouse level, and they're trying to, uh, you know, I think whittle it down. You know, to the point, to the part that they feel like the players need to know. You know, one or two actionable things, and that sounds so corporate cheap, but that is sort of what they're doing. They're taking the data and they're giving these guys uh, one or two things. They hey, this is based on data. You should be throwing this more often in this spot, or you should be, you know, you, you should be targeting. You know, your your target as a catcher needs to be, you know, needs to be lower so you can bring the ball up and so we can get more called strikes because we're last in the majors and. You know, for years in this, there's not a lot of these guys. I think their goal was to do it now because it is a young team. Uh, It is a new coaching staff, and they're trying – it's a very impressionable roster, and they're they're trying to get these guys into the habits they want. Uh, You know, I think, as Sam Folds said in the outfield story, that, you know, time's going to tell on this. I mean, you know, they're not sure how these guys are going to take to it. I mean, at this point, you know, they almost – they have to because they're being told to, but – you know, some of this is going to work and some of this isn't going to work. Uh, and, 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 you know, meshing the data with the clubhouse, it's, it's a, it's a tricky spot. Uh, and a lot of teams have not been able to do it well. And I think, uh, it's a really interesting storyline to be followed and, and one that I'll definitely be, be following. I'm moving on to a piece that you wrote a couple of days ago, which I really love this piece on Aaron Nola, um, just because it sort of re-familiarized, I think, me and a lot of other people with sort of what Aaron Nola is and the, the headline of the piece, you know, what we think about when we when we think about Aaron Nola. Um, it, it, he's really good. I mean, he's really good. And we kind of saw it last year. We saw it, you know, even before that. You know, he had the strikeout per nine over nine. I think it was, what, like 9.6 or something like that strikeout uh, per nine. He also, you know, has a walk per nine of like 2.6. His home run per nine is 0.9, which this is stuff that like most pitchers aren't doing. It's a very small group of guys who can actually get those numbers uh, consistently. And your piece kind of talked about both how the team looks at him, which is he's an ace. He's basically a future ace. He's going to be that guy. And then how the outside world looks at him is more of like, oh, like a number three guy, you know, maybe he could be an ace one day, but it's more likely he's more of a mid-rotation guy. And that sort of difference between the two worlds. Um, I love that you have Nola in the beginning with Eikhoff, this exchange where they kind of talk about a curveball. And then at the end, you have Nola's quote, like the only quote you actually get from Nola like to you. And the rest of this, the piece is about people talking about Nola and what his numbers are. It, to me, felt like, and I think Fangraphs had in their Phillies projections earlier this year, they compared every player to a different recent player, and they even said, this seems ridiculous, but this is the comparison. But they compared Nola to Roy Halladay. And it seems like, yeah, that could happen. We could have, like, a Roy Halladay light or something like that on the mound. But the guy that I – the impression I got from your piece was Nola is a lot like Cliff Lee in the way he carries himself, sort of this, like, whatever, not braggadocious, but just this is who I am, and he's a southern guy, same sort of region, Louisiana, Arkansas, whatever. Is that fair to say that, like, we have, like, maybe a holiday on the mound and a Lee sort of as his character? Like, does that make sense, or is it different? Or, like, what did you get, like, from him? I could see that. I mean, you know, I'm hesitant to make those comparisons because they are lofty. You know, I mean, we're talking about two – of the best pitchers in the last 15, 20 years, uh, I think 
I think what struck me in doing in doing that story is, uh, like you said, the difference between how he's viewed inside and outside, and that's that's not unusual. I mean, like you know, guys in, the, in their clubhouse are going to stick up for a guy, you know, one of their own teammates. But I think it's the way that they talk about this guy, and it's the way that you know Gabe Kapler is comparing him to Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer specifically, and and quite honestly, those comparisons are. Somewhat valid if, again, you're throwing out track record and saying, well, Aaron Nolte did it 168 innings last year. Right. It was a really, really, really good 168 innings. But in the end, it was 168 innings. And, you know, he has had injury problems in the past. And you wonder about his mechanics moving forward. But uh, what I took away from it, actually, what, what reminded me, and this is going to sound even crazier maybe, but I always thought that what impressed me the most about Cole Hamels is that he had such a great, knowledge of his body and it came from i think being injured uh right early in his in his in his in his life uh, of severe injury uh he when he pitched he knew his body so well he knew when to push it and not to push it when to back off a little bit he knew what was working for him he knew when to correct himself when something wasn't working for him and that's not to say Aaron Nola has reached that point yet because he hasn't but he appears to have this great knowledge of his body. He knows how to fix something when it's not going right. And that was sort of the anecdote that I was using about uh, that conversation between Noel and Jared Eikhoff about his curveball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and as Noel says in the story, it took getting hurt for him to really have this understanding. Uh, and who knows what it leads to? We're, we're not really sure. You know, we need to see this guy make 30 starts in the season before we're going to put big labels on it. But, Right now, I mean, he's 24 years old, and you're looking at a guy who compares very favorably uh, from from the numbers from his season last year, and we're going to see what happens. But there are people here who see, uh, you know, a really high potential in this guy who was, you know, when he was drafted, viewed as kind of a face bet, as a guy who will be a mid-rotation guy. And right now, I think that is sort of the lowest expectation for Arnold is that he's a mid-rotation guy. Yeah, I mean, 4.3 Fangraphs wins above replacement in 168 innings last year. That's really good stuff. I mean, you know, if he throws a full 30 starts, he might have five wins above replacement, which is, you know, one of the top 10 pitchers in baseball. And, and he's, he's kind of close to that at this point. And like you said, you know, putting it all together, just like kind of getting all those starts in and, and being healthy and seeing sort of the body and mind work, you know, in harmony a little bit more, you might see some really great stuff in 2018 for sure. Um, I do have to ask you about, you know, the pitcher that the Phillies don't have right now and the one that everybody's talking about last week or so, Jake Arrieta. I know you asked people about, you know, what do you think about the Phillies and Jake Arrieta? Do you think they should get him? Um, but but what do you know? What's the latest? Is there any latest? Is there any news? Is there anything at all? Like, what what's the latest on Jake Arrieta? So from what I've gathered, talking to different people from outside the organization and inside the organization is that, you know, not much has changed. I mean, the Phillies have made it clear that they would be interested in Jake Arrieta at certain terms. Uh, and they've made it pretty clear, I think, that they're not going to go beyond those terms. And what those terms are is still unclear. I would have to think that it's not a four-year deal, uh, that it would be something like a three-year deal that would be heavily front-loaded, maybe some kind of creative opt-out. But the feeling that I'm getting is that Jake Arrieta will have better offers than that. I know he hasn't signed yet, and I know there's some hand-wringing and, you know, a lot of people 
you know, in Philadelphia saying, go get him, go sign him. Like, he hasn't signed. Like, we can get him for this. Well, there's always – it's always usually in the middle. I mean, <laughs> you know, let's not forget that, you know, he's got other offers out, and maybe they're not the offers he wants, and that's why he has five gifts. But let's say he goes – he has to settle. He has to go down to a shorter-term deal. I see teams that are more motivated, that are better fits for him immediately, teams that have more complete rosters, that could get 10 right away, that give him a little more uh, you know, of the spotlight, like the Washington Nets, like the St. Louis Cardinals. Those two teams, I think, uh, are the teams that I would say have a better shot if he does have to settle for a shorter-term deal. And I don't think it's an accident that you know, there was a report about the Phillies, you know, maintaining contact. Uh, the Phillies, as I wrote earlier this offseason, you know, they were going to be used this winter as leverage for a lot of people because they are this young sort of building momentum team that has such a low payroll. Uh, agents and players and other teams are going are going to use the Phillies as leverage because they're the perfect leverage. I mean, they, they, they have an owner who wants to win. He's willing to spend. Uh, they're the perfect leverage. And that's not to say I don't think Jake Arias is going to end up here, but if I had to if I had to make a guess, use my gut, just based upon the stuff that I've heard and, and reported, I think they're going to let it play out. I think they'll let the first half of the season play out. If they're close to 500 or above it or a little below, I think you'd see them make a trade. And, and I think the two biggest developments this winter for the Phillies and really happened in spring training was – Eric Hosmer not going back to the Royals, and the Tampa Bay Rays sudden fell off of a lot of their parts. That, to me, suggests that pitchers like Danny Duffy and Chris Archer mm-hmm. could theoretically be available in a trade come July. I don't think they're going to shed those players right now just because it might not look so good. Uh, but those teams clearly are taking a step back and probably looking to rebuild or whatever word you want to use. And those two guys could be out there in July. And if the Phillies are around 500 or thinking about it, maybe there's a trade match there. I really think those were the two biggest developments of, of the offseason for the Phillies. Yeah, and then you're right. I think, you know, Archer, Duffy, and I think Marcus Stroman could even be in that group of guys who, you know, could be available at the trade deadline if things don't go their team's ways. And that's, you know, like you said, the Phillies could be in there. So it sounds like, you know, no Lynn or even Cobb probably right now they seem to be wanting to go with what they have right now in the rotation as long as things are the way they are. Um, I did want to ask you real quick about position flexibility because that's just one thing that Kapler has been really kind of high about. Uh, Roman Quinn has taken some ground as a shortstop, which is where he came off. He played shortstop before he went to the outfield or the minors. Um, Tommy Joseph has been rumored to maybe take some ground as a third base. I don't know if that's happening or not. But what what are you getting out of that? And and do you think that that would dictate how the roster is going to shake out? Like we've heard, nine man bullpen has been like a weird dream, but like eight man seems more likely. Uh, the bench probably four men then potentially. Like how does it shake out then? Yeah, they're moving everybody around. I mean, Desmond Valentin was playing right field uh, in the Quaker League game. He's playing third base. He's going to play shortstop. He's going to play second base. Roman Quinn's going to play everywhere. I mean, getting him at shortstop was really just – it would just be to make sure that, like, he could play there if there was an emergency situation or if they had some kind of weird double switch they have to do. Uh, they're moving all these guys around. Uh, and because, really, like you said, they're going to have a four-man bench, and – uh, they're going to need some guys who play different positions. But also, Kapler comes from the Dodgers, who have, I think, redefined this 
you know, positional flexibility. And Chris Young, of course, is the quintessential example of that. But Gabe Kapler used Cody Bellinger as an example of that. Uh, when he was talking about Scott Kingery, for example, Cody Bellinger got to the big leagues as an outfielder. That's not really where they envisioned him. He's now their first baseman. Uh, but that was how he got to the big leagues, and he was. They tried him out in center field. They tried him out in corners. He was able to do it, uh, and it got him to the big leagues. And then his back kept him in the big leagues, and now he's back at his natural position. So they are going to experiment. They uh, they're going to move these guys around. They're going to move. I think just about every guy around uh, mm-hmm. this spring, maybe except for like J.P. Crawford, who's pretty much entrenched at short. They're going to move everyone around. Uh, I think you even see Carl Santana playing a few different positions. This spring, and it's not to say that he's going to to be at those positions in the regular season, but they just want to see, and they want to make sure, you know, if, if you know that they know, you know, if they have if they're in a pinch and he has to move to third base, or if he has to go play left field in a pinch, that he can do it. And they might be in some pinches because of the short bench. Uh, what do you got coming up next on the athletic? Uh, anything that that we should know about that that's that's coming in the next couple of days? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> 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 we have some different ideas, actually, Megan. Is working on a story uh, that that I think could be kind of cool. It's about uh, uh, a Phillies uh, baseball operations uh, employee, a new employee. Her name is Dana Park. She's a former softball player at St. Joseph's. Uh, she worked for the Rays, and she's in player development now here with the Phillies, and and has really uh, sort of been a prominent presence here uh, in camp. And I think it's an interesting story kind of viewed in the greater context of how uh, we're seeing more and more women in baseball operations uh, throughout the game, especially here as the Phillies have hired quite a few. And I think it's kind of a cool story. It's, I think it's a great spring story about uh, some of the changes that are happening here. Uh, you're going to see a story about Roman Quinn. You're going to see stories about uh, what I believe to be an incredible uh, offensive trend for Phillies teams for the last five years, I'm not going to reveal what it is. It is just staggering to me, and uh, in a bad way, but maybe just to show <laughs> how there can be so much improvement. It is an incredible trend, and I'm looking forward to writing about it. Uh, I literally could not believe it when I when I stumbled upon it. Well, I yeah, I was when you said trend, I was thinking it can't be a good trend because it was the last couple of years, no way. But um, well, that'll be great. I mean, I'd be excited to see uh, what comes out from you and Megan and Ben and everybody at the Athletic. Um, and you can go to theathletic.com/slash/mlb-free-trial. Uh, go there, get your thirty percent off for the first year. It's really worth it. It's really great content. It's Matt's basically writing almost every day. Everybody's got pieces up every day. And then you get the full Philly coverage and the full national coverage, which is really just uh, worth your time because you can catch it throughout the day and, and you won't get – you won't – you'll have so much to read. It'll be worth it for, for sure. And Matt Gelb is on Twitter, at Matt Gelb. Um, so thanks, Matt. I really appreciate taking the time, coming on the podcast, and hopefully we'll talk to you later on uh, as the season gets going. Yeah, thank you so much, and we, you know, we appreciate anyone's support. I mean, I, I'm excited about what we're trying to build, and you know, I'm excited to to give you know Phillies fans a different outlet, and and hopefully uh, to be be something fun. Well, thanks again to Matt Gelb of the Athletic for coming on talking about spring training Phillies baseball with me. Thanks to BenSound.com for the music. So next week at PhilliesNation.com, we're gonna have a lot of stuff about. 
big storylines for 2018. And I think, you know, a couple storylines that are really big to me. One is obviously Gabe Kapler and the new approach and how this team is going to embrace analytics on the field and how that will bear out in the game situations. Um, I can't wait to see, you know, potentially Kapler holding up like a binder, kind of peeking out of the dugout with a binder and telling Aaron Altair to move five steps to the right. I think that'd be awesome, honestly. Why not? Let's try it. Let's see how it goes. Um, I think the Phillies are in a really interesting position where they can be experimental without being too crazy. I think they could be experimental without being too too crazy, and it won't hurt them. It can only help, I think, at this point because we saw what the baseline is with this team. I think at the end of last year, as this team got better, and you saw these young parts congeal, you saw what the baseline was, and it was a team that was certainly not 500, but close and getting better. So add a couple wrinkles to it. See what happens. Get these guys invested in the long run with data. Hey, this could be really fun. It could be really fun this year. We're going to have also a piece by Brendan Sample on Vince Velasquez and really make or break year for Vinny. I talked to you earlier in the podcast about how excited he is about Gabe Kapler and the relationship that they have already. Look, if this helps him sort of clear his mind, get him in the right place, and if he feels good about what he's doing out there on the mound, we don't know exactly what changes he's going to be taking with mechanics or pitch selection or how he's throwing his pitches or just general approach, which I think is the bigger problem with Velasquez is how he's approaching hitters. If he wants to blow him away or not, or how that's going to work, we'll see that bear out obviously, but at least the early returns that we're getting is this guy is really optimistic, excited, and he can't wait to see how he does this year. His goal is to get 200 innings. If Vince Velasquez throws 200 innings, I think we're all pretty happy with what happens. Even if he puts up an ERA of like four, 200 innings of Vince Velasquez means a high K per nine. It means he's getting through into the sixth, seventh innings, and that would be a great story. Uh, We'll see what happens. Brennan Sample's got that story. Also look at the bullpen and how this could really change how bullpens are looked at in the majors. I mean, the Phillies look like one of the many teams this year that will go into the season with an eight-man bullpen, which would mean basically one less player on the bench. They will have a five-man rotation very likely with Nola kind of getting free reign to go deep into games if he wants, but the Phillies probably being a little bit more tight with Velasquez, Jared Eikhoff, and potentially Nick Pavetta and whoever that fifth starter could be and see if those guys can get through the order two times and then you bring in the bullpen at least early on in the season to see how these guys can work with matchups and sort of throw teams off with guys like Nishak and Victor Arano and Edgeboy Ramos, uh, Tommy Hunter, Hector Neris, the list goes on. And then as the season goes on, if like Velasquez is really showing that he can go deeper into games and Pavetta is much better than he was last year. Then you start to see the changes. Then you start to see maybe a more familiar bullpen role take place. We'll see. But it's really interesting to see the Phillies embracing these things from the get-go. Also, there was this funny quote in an athletic story about how the Phillies could even entertain a nine-man bullpen, which I'm assuming would be a four-man rotation plus nine relievers. Or maybe you have a situation where you carry two starters to be in your bullpen, like a Zach Eflin and a Ben Lively, who you know can come in and piggyback off of Eikhoff and, let's say, Velasquez. So like every two games, you're just throwing two starters out there. I don't know. I'm just coming up with ideas. I don't know if it's true or not. But a nine-man bullpen just seems ridiculous, but also very interesting. And the experiment could be exciting and could be beneficial for the Phillies. Um, We'll see. It'll be a really fun season for sure. And I'm excited about just how spring will show and what these storylines will bear out and what Kapler's doing. And 
I'm excited to see Roman Quinn play some infield. He's taking snaps there. I want to see Tommy Joseph at third base. I want to see Matt McBride play a bunch of positions. He's a minor league signing with an invitation to spring. How that's going to work. It'll be really fun to see how that all happens this spring. So a lot of things to uh, get excited for with the Phillies this spring. Certainly we'll be following it at philliesnation.com. That is it for the Phillies Nation podcast. Again, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash philliesnation. Instagram at philliesnation underscore. Twitter at philliesnation. We will hopefully come back within the next two, two weeks with another Phillies Nation podcast. Until then, I'm Tim Malcolm. Talk to you soon.